She was born in Israel, raised in New Jersey, and is now living in New York. In just a moment, we will find out what took her from Israel to the United States, from New Jersey to New York, to a career as an actress and a singer. Hello, everyone. My name is Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. Today's guest is Nikki Rubin. Nikki is a woman of many interests, singing, acting, modeling. If it's creative, Nikki is likely to have at least dabbled and often mastered it. Nikki Rubin, welcome to Mind Talk. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And you have a lovely voice, by the way. Well, thank you so much. I will take that. (laughs) Nikki, what brought you from Israel to the United States? Well, my my father's from Queens, New York, actually, and my mother's from California, and um, they had met in Israel. They both went there after college, so they had met there and started a life there together. They got married here in the States, actually, but they had me in Israel, and, you know, actually, I moved when I was just a baby, uh, a couple months old, because they wanted me to have more of my family around. So they took me to Queens first, and I was there for about a year, and then ended up moving to New Jersey, which is where I grew up. So you were a a traveling baby from very early on. I was, yeah, I was. Mm -hmm. You were going to say something about New Jersey. Yeah, New Jersey, um, I think my parents had said that you know, when they were thinking about where they love the seasons. My mother grew up in California. So seasons for her were amazing. Seeing deer all the time. She loves fireflies, all those types of things that we get here. Um, And at the time where we lived in New Jersey was South Brunswick. So there wasn't as much, I mean, there was stuff, but not really stuff. You know, it was more like suburbs, almost going into rural ends. For you, it sounds like, even though you were born in Israel, I mean, you, you literally grew up in the United States, so this was not something new to you at all. Um, Correct. Th- this was your home, this was your life, this was your world. I want you to tell us about Sam the Popcorn Man. Oh. Oh, I love talking. That's my grandfather. I love talking about him. Um, my father's father, <clears throat> when he came... He came from Russia as a little boy and was always very entrepreneurial and um, really thought about what that American dream stood for since he was a kid. So during the Great Depression, even as a child, he was selling American flags and different things like that to help bring money in for the family. And then, you know, years later, he ended up working for a movie theater. No, it was for... Um, vending machine company in the different theaters and one day the vending machine fell over and he started selling things outside of the vending machine Oops! and he ended up going on to create um, all of the you know the way that we do things now with the stands and people going around and selling these things straight out like that that was my grandfather and um he went on to learning that in the South, they had popcorn, and at like the drive-in movie theaters, they would eat popcorn. So he decided to bring that back with him. 
and um, start selling it in the movie theaters here, which is why we have it, and it's such a staple of movie theaters. And, um, you know, he went on to own movie theaters and opera houses and stuff like that, um, different theaters around the tri-state area. But that's why he's Sam the Popcorn Man, because he's the reason why we eat popcorn here in movie theaters. <laughs> well, that is quite a legacy, I have to say. <laughs> <clears throat> I know, it's really amazing. When I was a kid, he used to give us these gigantic bags of popcorn, huge, like feet, you know, maybe two, three feet tall. And I would go around school selling it. It was this whole thing, you know. <laughs> so uh, your love of arts and being an entrepreneur, those at least in part, came from Grandpa Sam, the popcorn man. Yes, yes. And, and the artist, I mean, it seems like that's been in my family on both sides um, between my, my Grandpa Sam's wife, Ellie, and um, she was a painter. She, even, when, even when her and my grandpa, they met when she was 14 and he was a little older than that, um, We'd actually found a bunch of their love letters later on in life. It was pretty cool. But um, she and he used to love to perform. So they would go and do shows together, you know, dancing and singing. So it was always, and she used to sing. She had, to me, she had a beautiful voice, very, um, the classic jazz standard voice, you know, really beautiful. I think it's been in my blood. It sounds like it. So, Ken, when did you realize that singing and performing was something that was going to be important for you? You know, I, I always say that I came out of my mom singing, and I think performing, too, because as far as I've known, this is just what I've done. And, you know, my brother's always making jokes. He's always like, ah, oh, you've always been the performer. You've always been this Because he knows I used to always be the one to... I would come up with these ideas, these little skits or plays or um, improvisations with my brother or, you know, family members or friends, and I would have everybody put it on for the parents, you know. And um, for me, singing and the arts have always been a very important part of my life because it was my therapy, mm-hmm. and it was just naturally my way of expressing myself and my feelings in a way that I never really felt comfortable to just vocalize and, ver- you know, state verbally and literally. It felt much more comfortable for me to just allow it to come through my voice, through singing, or, you know, we had a piano growing up, so um, sitting on the piano and just playing and singing whatever I was thinking or feeling. Um, it, it, it's, and it's then not- later on, hmm it sounds like your family would have been very supportive of your creative endeavors. Is that true? Yes. My family, thankfully, has always been very supportive. I have a lot of artists and, and different people in the creative industry on, you know, even cousins and distant cousins. I mean, it's, it's definitely on all sides. Um, and my parents definitely nurtured. They saw this and they nurtured it in me and, you know, got me the classes and and help me and really even to this day they support what I'm doing in my career um my grandmother though interestingly enough grandma Ellie as much as she supported it she always she was always like she knew what the industry was like so she was always a little worried about my dedication to it um because I've always been very committed and dedicated to it um but even still she loved me and she was by my side no matter what 
when you say that she knew what the industry was like, what did she know? Mm. I think what she was particularly referring to at that time was how unsteady it is, you know, and the hustle of it. Um, and the fact that, you know, just to really put your worth out there and make sure you get your worth is can be challenging in this industry. You can, in fact, be a star one day and nobody remembers your name the next. It's true. It's so true. That's, it's so true. And I was that's really scary. That. <laughs> I'm sorry? It is scary. Yeah. I was thinking about that, actually. Just that, you know, when you, um, when you think about certain people that were so big and then all of a sudden you realize, you're like, where did these people go? It's like it almost gets drowned out they get drowned out by everything that's now and then later on you sit back and you're like where are these people you know and sometimes those folks have faded into such oblivion that people barely remember their names let alone it's their true. body of work mm-hmm. very true nikki we're going to go to a break but as we go to a break we're going to listen to some of your music. Folks, stay right where you are. You're coming up on a treat. Nikki, tell us about the piece that we've just heard a tiny portion of. Plead for love. I wrote that during the midst of the Trump campaigning. And um, and it's interesting because I always say the Trump campaign, but that's such a big thing that, I mean, you know, my heart and my soul hurt whenever people are hurting, hurting each other, even if it's a natural disaster. And to see what was going on during that time, how, who, how this person was pulling out the worst in people. And it wasn't just people who already had that in them, um, but it was people that you wouldn't necessarily think would have that in them, too, you know? And it felt like, you know, especially with, let's say we talk about Democrat, Republican, it felt like everybody was the same to me. You know, okay, you know, you, you claim to be a good person, you claim to stand for this and this and that, but then at the end of the day, everybody was very aggressive and violent and angry, you know, and I don't think people handled themselves at all very well during that time. And it felt like everybody was just against each other 
and very divided. And it wasn't just one group of people or the other. It was, it was a lot of people were just becoming, it's like people still talk to this day how they lost friends over that experience, you know? So this song came from that. <laughs> As you create music and words when it comes out of something that for you feels so painful is that a difficult process you know that's interesting because on one hand it it needs to come out um and I've always found that me releasing it through poetry or song makes me feel a little better and especially with the this ambition to have other people connect with it and feel something so it's not even just about me anymore um it helps it to flow out so the difficult part is to probably have to really face the truth and the emotions that come with that you know to have to to have to sit there and say to people like i plead for love and happiness is something that i don't i wish that nobody ever had to do you know, I feel that as human beings, we're meant to love. We're meant to be there for each other. If you look at the way the whole world works, I mean, nature, it's, it's an ecosystem. Everything has its ecosystem to work together. It's natural. Nothing is conscious in a sense to the level that we might be. But at the same time, human beings don't function like an ecosystem as a whole as human beings. And so the fact that I don't feel like human beings are living up their, to their true potential, number one. But then the fact that I even have to sit there and feel the need to plead for love for people and, and happiness and for people to, to, to wake up and try to love each other more and, you know, be together and work together, it definitely makes me sad. And it makes me angry, you know, but that can be, those can be difficult to navigate because, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to, lose hope and faith and you don't want to feel that way towards people and feel that like humans are not capable of getting it together. <laughs> you know, I have a kid, I have a five-year-old, so the best thing I can do is hope for the best, you know, so it can be challenging in that way. You have a five-year-old who uh, is living, in, as you've said, in some really challenging times. Um, and it doesn't matter what quote unquote political party you are a part of or aspire to emulate. These are really hard times as, and, and your little one is hearing about them. Fair statement. Right. So as they are being heard about, what do you say to your child as your child is hearing about hopefully not as much as is out there, but is hearing about the ugliness, but yet is seeing mom really trying to create beauty. Whenever I hear about something going on or I see something or she's home doing something or, you know, even like sometimes with our animals, she'll get like, it's so interesting because she looks at them like almost like per people the way that my whole family <laughs> does, I guess, really with, with our pets. Um, but you know, sometimes she'll get jealous, like, you know, as if it's another kid doing something on purpose for her. And I'm like, honey, you know, we, we have to be nice to each other, you know, we have to be loving to each other and try to be understanding and listen to each other and, and 
and, you know, sit back and sometimes, you know, just take breath first and then let's talk about it. You know, I just, hopefully everything I'm doing will work. And my, my goal is to kind of make things engraved into her that when she's older and having to make or choosing, of course, to make choices completely on her own, um, that she'll be able to have this moment where she stops and thinks and, and says to herself, okay, you know, is, is this the nice thing to do? Is this being, is this treating people correctly? And at the same time, making sure that I'm good to myself too, you know, but it's got to be this nice balance. We have to still look after each other. So I just try to speak. I really talk to her like an adult. You know, I really talk to her. I break things down for her. I really don't say just because, you know, I really give her explanations for everything. I try to give her scenarios to relate to, um, you know, when, when things, of course, when she's doing something really sweet and really beautiful and really kind and really loving naturally, um, she's got such a caring side to her. You know, she sees people maybe it kind of, and she's really good at picking up on it, um, maybe in pain or sad or, or stressed or something's going on. She'll ask, how are you doing? Are you okay? You know, and I make sure to point that stuff out too, how that's so sweet, that's so kind. And she's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to give this to this little boy over there. I'm like, that's so nice of you. You know, they'll really appreciate that. And I actually just had this moment with her where, it was a big learning lesson because, you know, she's very fortunate. She's growing up and, um, you know, I'm not with her father, but he does co-parent and she's got a lot of love on both sides. And she's very fortunate for that. You know, she's got good lives, a good life <laughs> from both of us. And, um, you know, I have to really make sure to teach her and educate her on not taking that stuff for granted and, that there are people who are much less fortunate than her and us. And, and, you know, recently there was a situation where we were in New York city. We were waiting for her father to come get her from my car. And a gentleman had come up to the car and was at, saying that he needed food. No, he needed money for food and such like that. And, you know, I try not to really give money because unfortunately, like I don't want to, feed to people's bad habits that sure. might have gotten them in certain positions or yeah. enable them. So if I have food or water or something, anything like that on me, I will always give that. Even if I've maybe eaten or drank it, I mean, obviously if they don't have to take it, but I feel like if they're really hungry, then they'll consider these things and were they thirsty and they're putting it to the right place. So, you know, we had um, a pomegranate in the car <laughs> that day. And I remembered that. So I gave it to the gentleman and, you know, he went off. And then my daughter, and it's interesting because she, you know, brought it up recently too. And that had happened maybe about um, a month ago. And I, I've had to really explain to her, you know, because she was like, well, I wanted that pomegranate. I'm like, but we can go get another pomegranate anytime. We're fortunate enough to be able to go at any moment to a store and go get a pomegranate. And that gentleman needed food. So we had it, we were able to provide it. So let's give it to him, you know? Um, and it's, it's like on one hand she gets it, you know, and then that's when I'll relate different experiences to her that maybe she's can grasp personally. Like, you know, what if, 
what, you know, what if you were at school and um, you forgot your lunch and you were hungry and another kid didn't want to give their, share their food with you. You know what I mean? And I just think that that's important too, that, you know, I, I just try to give all angles for her to understand because on one hand I get it. You know what I mean? That's she's an, number one. She's an only child. She doesn't have anybody around her right here. That's her age and her family, you know, but you know, as much as I can to try to help her understand now so that later on she'll just do it. You know, know, it's, it's, it sounds like, uh, Perhaps, and I don't know if you've done this already, but it certainly sounds like creating music for children her age um, and up really tackling these social issues um, and these sort of growing up and becoming a good person issues would be an interesting uh, interesting project for you. Um, we're going to take a break. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will continue, folks. You are listening to a conversation with Nikki Rubin. Nikki is a singer. She's an actor. If it's creative, Nikki has certainly um, dabbled in it. And we will continue to talk more about her music and how she comes to create what she does. We'll be right back. Nikki, uh, you work with a number of independent artists. What made you decide to do that? Um, I've just always been somebody that, you know, was interested in connection and opportunity. Um, and the people that I've worked with, it just kind of has happened that way <clears throat> where they've approached me and wanted to work and, you know, if, if I felt that it could be an interesting um, collaboration or project, I've gone and I've done it. And, you know, I think it's, I also love um, things that are different than me as a challenge to and, and to learn and to grow in a different way than what I already know. <laughs> so it could be fun to work with different people, you know. If you had to describe your particular voice, your talent, what would you? How would you describe yourself? Well, I'm a very, uh, you know, eclectic person in general. So I think that's important to note because I have a base for sure, which is jazz, blues, and soul, and which just comes out naturally. Um, but I love things from all over the world. I love music. I love textures. I just, I, I my, the, the same way that I love to work with different people, it's kind of the same for my taste. Um, and I think that these different influences seep through no matter what I'm doing, you know, and then, you know, now it was that, let me, I'm just trying to think about the order. So a reggae artist had come to me and asked me to collaborate and his name is Sila and he 
brought me into this whole culture, you know, um, the Jamaicans and then the Rastas and, and really educated me on reggae and what reggae is. And then we started working on music. So we're actually getting ready to record those songs that I wrote. I've been performing them already. Um, but now what I've noticed is that so much of what he and I were working on and him educating me in the reggae um, is kind of a lot, I feel, that comes through now in my, real, my rhythms and melodies. And then the R&B, so my project was Plead for Love on it. Um, the producer of that, Road Model, he also had come to me about working on the R&B music. And again, I think R&B was a natural thing. I grew up with it. It's one of my favorite genres. I didn't necessarily know I would ever go into like doing just R&B music. Um, I think for many years I was maybe thinking I would do jazz. You know, the way that I would write, I used to write naturally was more jazz <clears throat> and blues. Um, but, you know, to have to think then in R&B. So then I had this beautiful sense of reggae come in and now the R&B, which is so much fun. So difficult to really describe but I guess it's it's a mixture of things definitely jazz definitely soul and then you have the R&B and reggae what I had learned was actually like their jazz and blues so you know you can put that all in there together <laughs> but I guess when I when I do explain myself to people or put out the music um I guess even like I've actually had people say you know neo soul um the R&B jazz and the blues I guess is the best way to describe what I have to offer. For someone who is trying to break into uh, the industry, I know that's a loaded question, but in the in the few minutes that we have left, can you give some tiny bits of advice? Yeah, um, I think that number one is is believing in yourself that you know no matter what happens that you if this is what you want to do and this is what you feel you have to do, then you have to know that it is possible for you to achieve the type of success you want because everybody measures success differently and has different goals. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that's helped me all these years to stay committed and dedicated to my arts and my expression is purpose. And I, I knew when I was younger that the arts were, were very powerful and that they can help change every, people's thinking and emotions. So I already knew that that was something that I wanted to do, that that through the arts. So I kind of already had this little purpose to go from, but then it became bigger than that with music where I was like, well, I feel like, you know, I know I want to help make a positive impact in the world. I don't have the financial means to do it in a huge, quick way. So let me see. I think we all have something to offer um, and for me, this is one thing that I have to offer because of the power of music, um, and the power of the arts. So having this purpose, something bigger than myself as a reason to do these things helps me to keep going because it can be very questioned, like, what am I doing and why am I doing this and where is it going? And, and to have this constant thing to remember that you know, I'm trying to help make a difference in the world. And this is one way that I feel I can do that will help me to just stay the course and keep my integrity while I'm at it. You know, that's a big thing too. 
and to believe. So I think purpose and belief are probably the biggest things because I think those things together build ambition and drive and motivation and dedication and commitment. And those are things that you need if you're going to be successful in this industry. Nikki, how do people learn more about your work and what you're doing? Um, My social media handles are the best way right now. I am working on a website, but I'm very slow with it. Um, But my Instagram handle is at Nikki Rubin, N-I-K-I-R-U-B-I-N. And my Facebook handle is at Nikki Rubin Music. And um, I do have a Twitter. It's probably the same thing, Nikki Rubin. You know, I have, I think those are the main ones that I have. I don't really use Twitter that much because personally, I'm, I think somebody needs to explain to me how great it is and why, but definitely Instagram and Facebook are the best ways to keep updated and as to what is going on, where things are and all that good stuff. <laughs> Sounds good. Nikki, thank you so much for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. And thank you for sharing your, your music and your perspective. Thank you so much, Pamela. Thank you. And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is always available on demand by going to M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. Be sure to go to the mindtalk.org homepage and sign up for our free weekly giveaway and the free weekly program guide. And remember always, folks, if it's unacceptable, then it's unacceptable. You take care. Mm-hmm.